0: This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast.
1: Uh, This is the Lookout Landing Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Robertson. You can find me on Twitter at mroberson22. Thank you for your patience. I know we had a little hiatus in classic Lookout Landing fashion. Just took a cute little unannounced break from the podcast. But we're back today with a guest. And boy, do we have a guest. But first... As per usual, I must introduce my co-hosts, uh, sort of the the vermouth and bitters to my whiskey. It's <laughs> Kate Prucer and John Troopin. What's up, guys?
2: Don't tell us which one is the bitters, because I have a strong suspicion. <laughs> I don't want that confirmed. Hello, Matthew. How are you?
1: I'm great Well, no Like, I past guests <laughs> No, no we're know,
2: normalizing saying I'm doing bad Remember? That's what we're, I was going to say Yeah that.
1: Our yeah. last guest uh, Bradford William Davis Of the New York Daily News uh, Helped us get to that point Where we were like It's okay to say That we're doing bad mm-hmm. You know, I think yep. Something that I said To a friend the other day Is like I'm doing fine Day to day But on a macro level Like, probably worse Than I've ever been <laughs> Which is kind of Kind of true of all of us I'd imagine John, how do you feel?
0: Uh, at this exact moment, not great. I feel a little bit more Mad Dog Twenty Twenty than Vermouth. Um, if we're just <laughs> no. sort of now, you're
1: talking up, my language, baby. <laughs> on, the,
0: on the fortified wine range, but uh, but uh, glad to be here and excited to talk some baseball with our guest.
1: Cool, cool. Well, Kate and John are both on Twitter, at Kate Preuser and John Shrupen, And today's guest is a actual real-life player for the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> uh, friend of the site as well, and a, sort of a personal favorite around these parts. Um, you probably already know who it is because it says his name in the episode description that you clicked on. But in case you're going in blind, we have Mariners outfielder Braden Bishop here. Welcome to the show, Yay! Braden. How are you doing?
3: I'm good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me.
1: Of course, I think you know. Like I said, we're all in a weird place, but uh, getting through it through the power of podcasting—love
3: that.
2: And also, uh, it's it's exciting because it really feels like with the um, ba- I refuse to call it the baseball bash, but fine, baseball bash that the Mariners are doing this week, uh, and next week, kind of the virtual fan fest type things. It's really exciting that it feels like baseball is. Uh, even remotely, we're getting excited about baseball fan fest always marks for me a time where baseball feels like it's getting close cause then it's an easy countdown to spring training, which makes it an easy countdown to the season. So I am just delighted that it feels like baseball is getting close.
3: It does feel like it's getting close, but also, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what we're waiting for, like, I don't know what it's going to look like this year. So that's a little
2: different. Sure. Uh, with the minors being pushed back, especially, it's I, I just kind of assumed that everything was going to be uh, uh, back to normal. But uh, things have been anything but, and obviously we're getting the vaccine rollout slower than I had hoped. So, man, I'm looking at a second straight missed spring training this year, and that part is a huge bummer. Because that's a great time, too, and I'm sure for you, too. Uh, fun time to connect with the fans I know you always make a ton of time for the fans who want you to sign things chat with them take pictures all that sort of stuff
3: absolutely that's the tough that's the best part of spring training it's more intimate environment you actually get to I mean other than the minor leagues which is pretty intimate too but yeah definitely gonna miss that this year for sure
1: um, Brayden as part of the the fan fest baseball bash thing that was happening uh, There was a zoom call that featured Kyle Seeger, JP Crawford, Marco And we got to see um, Kyle was like sitting on his front porch with his phone like <laughs> under his chin Like has not figured out zoom not angles his a- Does not at all. have
2: his angles, no he
1: does, Which I think is to be expected <laughs> But um, for the listeners at home we cannot see you So I'm curious like where are you right now? Where have you been riding out the pandemic. Are you back in California? Are you in the Washington area or near the team facility in Arizona? Where are you currently calling us from?
3: I am calling from the Bay Area um, in San Rafael. That's where my my dad lives. We actually, my wife and I bought a home uh, in March and it's supposed to be finished in about two weeks. So we're kind of just waiting until that. But uh, I'm definitely... I'm definitely tired of getting in people's way, uh, whether it be roommates or my my parents. I'm definitely ready to have my own space.
1: (laughs) I understand. I think everyone understands. There's a lot of people at home like, yes, I get it. Even Major League (laughs) Baseball players are not immune to the weirdness of the pandemic.
3: Exactly. Definitely not.
2: Major Leaguers, they're just like us.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, We're all humans.
1: Uh, what does your baseball life looked like during the pandemic? I mean, actually, if you don't mind, can we go back to, to March, 2020 when spring training yeah. got shut down? Like what was your first thought when they sort of sent everyone home? Did you think like so many of us like, Oh, this will be a two week break. And then we're back at it. Uh,
3: you know, like, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what I was thinking, but I do remember.
2: I know. In, it feels like it was like 10 years ago. At this yeah, point. it does.
3: Uh, I remember in January, um, i i went on my honeymoon to hawaii and we were sitting there and i can remember reading an article that was talking about the coronavirus uh, which obviously hadn't got to the states yet and i remember thinking like oh that would be very interesting if it did get here uh, with you know obviously sporting events being uh, you know, the capacity being 20, 30, 40,000 people, like that doesn't seem like those two go together. And then obviously it left my mind um, until we were playing the, the Cubs. Uh, I think it was like middle, maybe very beginning of March. And uh, it was packed, right? Like Cubs spring right. training it's always packed. And and I remember thinking in the dugout, like this is, it, it like took me back to that thought and, you know, obviously there was like rumblings about it getting into the United States. And there were obviously that mass panic at the beginning. And then uh, I had got sent down like two days later. And uh, I, I took like, I think I got sent down. I took the next day because you get three days when you get sent down. Uh, and then I remember I was at breakfast and I saw pop on the TV. The NBA has suspended uh, their operations. And I was like, Holy smokes! So the NBA suspended theirs. Like every other, uh, like they're not going to be the only one. So, you know, then within 12 hours, it was, Hey, we're we're halting spring training. Uh, to 12 hours later, being, uh, we're we're going to send everybody home except for 40 man guys. To 12 hours after that, like, Hey, we're delayed for uh, indefinite amount of time. And and I, even though they had said two weeks I think we all kind of had an idea like hey they're not going to shut this thing down for just two weeks like this could be a while so I think that's why they sent everybody home Um, obviously just so odd to have your routine broken like that Um, and just I mean just kind of left in limbo because I mean I felt like we were going to play like every day for like three straight months and it didn't happen so it was interesting that's for sure
2: I was actually down there at that time, um, right when things got shut down, and I was texting Carson Vitali because he's, you know Carson, he's great. He's super and a nice. terrible dancer, by the way. Oh I my god. <laughs> I'm really excited for that thread to uh, continue through. I did, like, what, are you sneaking up on someone? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was
0: great. Uh,
2: (laughs) Yeah. Carson is the best, even though he eats his mac and cheese with ketchup, which is a sin and also is a terrible dancer, but great, (laughs) great source of information. And I was texting him. I was like, do you know what's going on? And he was like, no. And I just can only imagine like, that's what I remember most from that time is like, wow, the people in charge don't seem to know what's going on. Like, I really thought Carson would have a clear-cut answer with, like, protocol. And I think that that was when it became clear to me, like, whoa, we're we're all just making this up as we go along. Like, nobody knows what's happening. And, you know, it was a flurry then of, like, canceling stuff and and arranging a trip back home and, you know, canceling all these different accommodations that I'd made. And um, I think I flew out, like, on a red eye that I managed to get, And then right after that, things got really bad. So just, yeah, that, that time of sort of panic and uncertainty and not having, I I appreciate what you say about how in baseball, your days are so regimented and you have a schedule and you have times that you have to be at the field. And that for me, just as a civilian, it was terrifying, not knowing what was going on and feeling like no one knew what was going on. So I can only imagine like what the sense must have been as a team about that.
3: Yeah. I mean, just. And I think that the the point where I got super, I don't want to say scary. Um, just I guess it, it was like an empty feeling as went because I had like I said I got sent down. So like I was going through the minor league meeting where they're like, hey, everybody's going home. You have no choice. Clean your locker, or whatever. Uh, to then like 12 hours later, like, hey, we're gonna keep 40 man guys here. Um, and then at that point, I had. Uh, Jerry had brought me, Vicious and uh who's the other guy? There was one other guy. Um, I don't know why I can't think of who it was. There wasn't a lot of us, but anyway. Oh, Art Warren. And um, he had brought us up, and I remember seeing his eyes, uh, just like he didn't even know what to tell us, you know? And, and he's obviously a guy who, who, when he gives information, he knows what he's talking about, yeah. so just like see that like emptiness in his eyes Oof. of like, hey, I don't know what to tell you guys. Like it was definitely unsettling for sure. And, uh, and then you don't know, you know, like they can't tell you like, Hey, you know, you, you're going to go home for a month. So here's the date to prepare, uh, prepare for. So it was like, like I said, it was like every day for three months. It's like, okay, we're ready. Like they're going to come to an agreement. And then it's like, Oh no, they didn't, they fell apart. And then it was like that for three months. So, it was weird. It was very
1: weird. Is there like, what have you been doing uh, since then? So like once the regular season ended, then you have to kind of find that new slash old routine again. Cause like the timeline is the same, you know, you're like, okay, season ends in October. Now I have the winter again to get ready, but we still don't really know when you're going to be back. So like, what have you been doing to try to keep normalcy as you prepare for whenever the 2021 season will start?
3: Uh I. So the best thing I did uh, during the initial shutdown from March to end of June was I bought like I just totally invested in a garage gym, Um so I was able to do like full training from home. Cause did I you get like, Alta
2: Villa to help you set that up? Or <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I didn't, but because he's like the with, king
2: of the garage
3: gym. <laughs> yeah, we work with the same guy, so like yeah. it. uh it definitely, like, obviously, we're doing a lot of, like, parallel things. Um, but only
2: maybe you with, like, slightly lighter weights than, yeah,
3: than... <laughs> I think everybody's probably lighter weights. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the season ended, and I initially had gone back to the gym I train at uh, in Sacramento. And after Bree had gotten pregnant, you know, obviously uh, the doctors were kind of, uh, they were a little hesitant for me to be in a like a gym environment so they kind of gave me the heads up like hey you know it'd be smart if you do have the resources to, to train from home so like yeah I can do that and uh, so then I basically moved back to what I was doing uh, in the early spring and then uh, it, I mean it's been great you know I really like kind of just going in there and Uh, shutting the door and just kind of having some me time. And then hitting has been the same. You know, usually I just hit with one guy and have a cage to myself, which is nice. And then my dad coaches at a a Marin Catholic, a high school in the Bay Area. So we'll go use that field. So other other than that, I'm definitely staying away from people. You know, I just – with Bree being pregnant, uh, I'm definitely – I definitely are on the cautious side for sure. Um, And then, you know, I I guess I'm preparing for regular spring training, but, you know, I I think we learned last year that anything can happen. So just got to stay malleable for sure.
1: So then let's say, I mean, you work out, you do your baseball stuff for, you know, a couple hours a day, I imagine. But then you still have, like the rest of us, like a full – day to fill so what have you been doing outside of baseball like do you have a quarantine show you've picked up or like is there a meal that you finally learned how to cook I feel like we've all got one or two of those now
3: yeah for sure um yeah I I mean I've definitely been cooking since the wife has been pregnant so um you know just trying to keep her happy but I uh
4: good plan plan.
3: I, (laughs) I am working on a couple different projects at the moment um you know I think one of one of my strengths is uh, I understand the impact I can have as a, a human being or a non-baseball player. So I definitely want to try to, you know, expand on what I've already done in my, uh, my own community and then also the Alzheimer's community. So, um, you know, I started uh, during the shutdown last spring. I started a coffee company that kind of intertwines with, the, with Four Moms. Um, just because coffee and the benefits to cognitive health, uh, it just seemed like a good thing, and I love coffee, so started that. So I do that part of the day, um, and then I I'm working on a project with two ex-athletes from the University of Washington, one women's soccer player, and then another baseball player. Uh, basically, I don't want to give out too too much information because we're still. Uh, we haven't rolled it out just yet, but basically it, it helps athletes, um, from high school, college, and professional level enhance their voices, um, activists or, you know, for whatever cause that it might be, um, and it's a platform to try and help enhance their voice through education, um, for their cause, whether that be, uh, equal rights, women's rights, um transgender rights or racial and human rights um that that's kind of a small synopsis but we're working on that and hopefully roll that out this summer um with a lot of great professionals and professors and um activists and uh, people who are on the front lines of whatever uh, fight for right it might be um so it definitely all these things and then obviously form on too so all these things take up a lot of the day, and then the rest is dedicated to trying to get ready for the season.
1: Yeah, well, we were going to get into that next. I mean, that was a perfect segue, but real quick, in case there's any listeners who aren't familiar, can you explain what Form Mom is and how that all got started?
3: Mm-hmm. In 2014, my mom was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, which is a super rare form of dementia that affects a younger generation so it it the i think the average age is like 52 and it's a little bit faster progressing and it will it won't be strung out so long so if somebody's you know 7 years old and they kind of are seeing a decline in cognitive health it might string along till they're 90 years old before you'd even really notice uh, But her form was very fast and aggressive, and it definitely took everything out of her. Uh, So, in 2014, after she was diagnosed, I'd always wanted to, you know, obviously get in my community and and help. And I saw it obviously as personal to me. So, we hadn't won event just to raise money for the Alzheimer's Association, and I saw. One, the most important thing was I saw how she was like, "Oh, wow, I can really embrace this because that people come out to support like me and people going through it." And then the second part of it was I saw what an impact you know you could have. And at the time, my platform was a college athlete. And then I you know, I feel like when I look back the string of events that happened, Uh, I was very fortunate to come across people with more connections than I had who connected me with really good people. And, uh, you know, we held a couple events that kind of pushed us forward. And then we would come to the point where we'd have, like, no money. And I was like, you know, I'm going to have to fold this. Like, I I don't have enough to, you know, continue to hold events and make them good and and worth coming to. And then you'd get, like, a random donation from – some random company for like ten thousand dollars and i'm like holy smokes and so anyway <laughs> through all of this you know up and down you know we finally got to a point where we had raised enough money where we kind of like shifted our model where now we uh you know each year we try to connect and raise money for caregivers uh we try to connect and raise money for a technology company or group that um identifies Alzheimer's and dementia and how to uh, detect it early. And then the, the last part is raise money and connect with a medical, uh, medical group or a hospital who's doing research and is kind of on the front lines on the medical side. So we kind of went like with a three-pronged approach. So as we continue to, to fundraise and get out in the community, this is kind of where our, our mindset is. Uh, which obviously has evolved a lot since 2014 when I would just write it on my arm, write form <laughs> all on my arm. So now it's I like mean, a full business.
2: And this is like a lot of learning that you've done just by doing, right? Like you didn't have any kind of background in fundraising or marketing or like, tell us tell us about your background and what you studied at UW because I think that that, that kind of um, feeds into what Matthew wants to ask you about next.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I didn't, I haven't obviously finished my degree. I left early, but I was on track to get my degree in uh, at Washington, it's called LSJ or Law Society and Justice. And then, um, I really wanted to minor in African American studies. Um, cause I had taken a class from a professor. Uh, her name is professor Terry Scott and it was african-american in sport that was the, the class and i think lenny wilkins came in and talked um i think uh there was a couple other um athletes that were you know more on the activist side and like very active in their communities well that was like the first time i had been like oh my god like i'm an athlete and you know i advocate for this cause obviously it's different than what they were advocating for, but I was like, wow, like I could really make an impact and then that's kinda where my um I guess my passion to uh try and help people in marginalized communities. Um so then after that I actually started getting in touch with I had played travel ball in the Bay Area for this team called NorCal baseball and the guy who ran that organization would go out into like Oakland and Richmond and the Antioch, Vallejo. Um, and he would get um, predominantly African-American players who, whose parents didn't have the resources to, to get them to these tournaments. And he would just be like, Hey, I'm going to pay for you to come out. And, and this, the guy who runs this NorCal baseball, uh, he's done very well over the years with getting players to college and professional. So, I think he was fortunate enough to have the resources to help these kids. And I always was like, God, like, one day I want to help. So um, every year since then, uh, you know, I've tried to help, like, whether it's, like, get kids the area codes or get them baths. You know, last year we sent – me and D Gordon sent, like, I think 10 or 12 wood baths, cleats, uh, glasses, gloves, batting gloves to – Uh, this one kid in in the oakland area um and then he was able to go play uh in the area codes the junior games i think last year it was somewhere in the south um but yeah it just feels good to like give back like that
1: yeah absolutely and i mean we obviously monitor a lot of What you're doing. I think the Lookout Landing community is uh, pretty aware of who you are and what you do on these fronts. But um, I wanted to get into this because, I mean, you are, and you know this, like you're one of the few baseball players, particularly white baseball players, who are outspoken about these sorts of things. Like you do not shy away from the issues. And obviously, a big part of the pandemic overlapped with. The Black Lives Matter movement picking up a lot of steam and a lot of protests surrounding racial injustice and police murdering unarmed Black people. So, I'm wondering you've mentioned this college class and you've mentioned um, sort of what you do uh, with the kids in the Bay Area, but like when did you really start to feel passionately about this and like decide, oh, I'm gonna speak up? Like, was there a moment outside of just being in that college class where you're like, oh, maybe where you were like, Exposed to severe inequality or was it just a gradual process? Like when do you remember thinking to yourself? Like, okay I have the privilege. I'm in a position to go actually make a difference
3: So it started for me in, And so growing up in the Bay Area, I mean, I'm assuming you guys have been to the Bay Area so you have like Silicon Valley and then you have like 10 miles away you have like the slum where that like the schools aren't even like put together and I always found it fascinating. Like I'm, I'm like, you know, I, I grew up in this I'm lucky my parents, obviously my mom was a movie producer and did well for herself. My dad the same. So, you know, I, I like recognize this like privilege I have, it's like, why does this look different? Like why, why do I go to a private school? And then some of my best friends on my Pop Warner team, you know, their parents, like, came to take them to school. And so I was always, like, fascinated. And then uh, obviously playing football and basketball, you know, in that area, you know, if you're on the better teams, the black athlete was just better. And that's who, you know, I was playing with. And, uh, you know, I can remember my dad always telling me, like, hey, go to their house. And, you know, East Palo Alto, Redwood City, and, you know, I'm going from my house, which has a white picket fence to, you know, my best friend Darrell's house having a chain link fence. And, you know, it's just like, I was like, holy, like, these is two different worlds, like the privilege I have. And, um, and then obviously I recognize like Darrell's a black man and I'm white. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, I don't see color because I do. And I see the difference. And, uh, we went to high school and Darrell and I, uh, had gone to high school together. Uh, and, and I remember walking across the street, there was a CVS across the street and we walked in together and the, the red, the person at the register said, uh, Hey, you got to take your backpack off. And so we both looked and, uh, she was pointing at him and. And he goes, well, why do I have to take it off? She's like, you have to take it off so you don't steal anything. But I'm standing right next to him wearing a backpack. And I remember saying, like, well, if he has to take his off, I have to take mine off too. And it was just, like, so blatant when she was like, no, no, no you don't have to. Like, you're fine. And I was just sitting there like, wow. oh, my God. Like, this is wild. Like, we're, we're 17-year-old kids, and you're just blatantly discriminating right in front of my face. And so I was like, nah, we're good. And we walked out. And, you know, Darrell's like a brother to me, so obviously it hurt me. Um, and so that kind of fueled my my passion to to I guess understand better um, you know, how that made him feel. And obviously there's nothing I can do as a 17-year-old. You know, I, I couldn't like pass a policy or uh, join an organization or whatever, but, um, you know, that was, like, kind of what sparked it, and then, obviously, going to the University of Washington, you know, Seattle is very progressive, and, you know, being an athletic department, you have, you know, soccer, baseball, basketball, football, tennis, um, you know, all these different sports and track and field so you have, you know, the diversity is crazy. You know, you got people from Europe and Australia, you know, you got people from Los Angeles and New York, whatever. So I got to connect with so many different people and just like the, I remember actually the the girl I'm working on this project with that we're going to like roll out in the summer. She played women's soccer and a black woman from Colorado And very, like, radical, passionate. And I can remember, like, feeling that, like, the first time I had ever met her. Uh, Just, like, the way she spoke was, like, so strong. I'm sure you guys have met people like that, too. And then, obviously, like, hearing how they speak and, like, their personal stories and, like, this personal struggle uh, would make me think, like, as a white man, I'll never understand this. Like, I'll never understand this pain. And like, who am I to say that they they don't feel that, you know, because um, obviously it's very real and it brings, like, real emotions, so then I obviously took that class with Professor Scott, and it, like, really opened my eyes to, like, the, how big of a shadow it casts over sport, um, and, you know, obviously, you have like, Muhammad Ali, I said it on the, the call the other day with when we were doing the caravan through Vancouver, virtually, um, like my favorite athlete has switched from, you know, the traditional athlete to like Muhammad Ali, uh, cause you, you like see what he stood for and how he was one of the greatest boxers to ever live. But he knew he had this community looking at him, um, and so learning these things. And then obviously, when this past year happened uh, with George Floyd being murdered, I was like, I- I'm done, you know, like, mm-hmm. I guess if this is what's going to drive me out of the game, because, uh, you know, <laughs> the organization or people don't agree with what I'm doing, like, this is something that just needs to be done. And, you know, I had done some work, you know, behind closed doors, like I said, with just helping kids uh, in the Bay Area, you know, try and, level up a little bit just with their resources and things that they might not have had. Um, and, but ne- then I kind of realized like, you know, what, this, I have a platform now I can use my voice and I knew I was going to get backlash. Like I knew it, uh, because I had seen it before, obviously. I mean, you, I mean the best example is Kaepernick and you know, the backlash he received and he lost his career, but like it was like conviction that it was like i'm doing what's right like i'm gonna get on the right side of history i'm gonna do what's right and you know i knew i was gonna get backlash but i was shocked at uh how much of it and i used to engage uh but at this point uh i'm not i'm not gonna engage anymore with smart, people who smart man <laughs> yeah because it's i mean it, it was fun and and i liked it because i you know have people like you guys who, who would chime in and hype me up <laughs> so that would feel good but at the same time you know I think it was a-
2: pretty delightful to watch you dunk on some racist Braden Duncan <laughs> on racists is one of my favorite twitter tropes
3: <laughs> it's, a, it's a good it's a good feeling but at the end of the day you know I realized that actually one of the per- people that reached out to me was uh, Dante Pettis and he was like hey like I love you bro but like just like think about like the message and like who you're trying to reach and I was like yeah no I, I completely agree um but like I think I, I found some joy in like hitting people with um very like nonpartisan, educated fact um I, I like I really enjoyed it um just because, like I said, like I had that background, of, like taking these classes and like being interested in it. So I knew that it wasn't like me being like a certain political, having like a certain political stance. Um, obviously, I know politics is like intertwined in this like greatly, as you could tell. <laughs> but uh, I think when I was like, I'm going to approach this and like everything I say, like I it's going to be facts, like historical facts and facts. Um, And then obviously, like, I kind of liked exposing the people that would, like, be bothered by it. Because it would, like, show their character. And then obviously, at a certain point, I was like, these people are bots. Like, they're not even real. Like, this (laughs) can't even be a real thing somebody (laughs) would say. Um, So then that's kind of when I started being like, all right, well, I'm going to, like, say what I need to say. But, like, if somebody says something, like, I'm going to mutumbo them and block them. Like,
4: it's over. (laughs) So... (laughs)
3: Um, I'm
1: sure you learned that if you see like a bunch of numbers in their handle, like <laughs> if it's like patriot Pete 9731462, <laughs> that's not a real guy.
3: Yeah, exactly. I like that one.
4: Patriot Pete.
2: Patriot Pete. Yeah, they they I mean, it was I definitely saw the shift in your account because I feel I've been following you for a long time interacting with I, I mean, seeing what you say and like it's always been justice oriented, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the George Floyd killing, th- there was a real sharp, <laughs> there was a sharp turn where like I feel like, especially as white people and talking to big audiences, we tend to couch things a little more gently so that we don't get Patriot Pete five yep. nine six five four coming after, after us all the time, and like. There's a softening of language that we use a lot of times, and you just pulled it. You know, it's not police brutality; it's police murder, and like mm-hmm. just that subtle shift in language. Um, that was that was really when I noticed that change in what you were saying and how you were saying it.
3: No, yeah, absolutely. And the, the the funniest ones that I would get was, uh, you know, people who would chastise me for you know being pro you know, African-American and, and people of color, but, you know, what about our police? And it's like, my dad was on the job for 25 years. Like, my aunt is a chief of police. My grandfather was a chief of police. Like, my uncles are in on the force. Like, uh, if anybody's pro-police, it's, like, I'm literally, I have it in my blood. So, um, but, I mean, even, you know, I think one of the coolest things about that dynamic is, you know, like I, I remember my aunt, who's the chief of police. She officiated my wedding. Um, you know, she I remember she called me like early on and was like, you know, do you know what Black Lives Matter is? And I said, um, you know, I'm gonna stop you there. Like, this has nothing to do with me attacking you. Um, but I'm I feel like I'm in a position where I need to use my voice to advocate for these communities because at the end of the day, this is a white people problem. Um, Black people have been in this fight for, for centuries and we're here still. So um, it has nothing to do with you, but like, I want you to hold people accountable and uh, that's all it is, you know? Um, And she was like, you know, obviously the defund and abolish and, and I was like, yeah, but like, look into like what those mean. Like, I understand you're going to take it personal uh, because that's like your line of work. They're your officers, but just like, look into it. Like, what does that mean? You know? Um, Mm -hmm. and now she like, obviously she's still a chief of police. So like, she's obviously, you know, she's in it. Um, she's putting her life on the line and I appreciate that. Um, but now she's like, totally just like, just, it just seems like she gets it, you know? Um, at least grasp the situation around us. Um, and, you know, I'm definitely obviously proud of her for that. But, yeah, I always found it always found it funny when people would come at me like that and it's like, nah, well, why don't you go look it- look through my Twitter maybe like a couple years and you'll see me buying lunch for uh, the University of Washington police and, um, you know, the Los police and Tempe police. So, yeah, save it with that.
0: Well, that's, a, that's a, a very, like, particularly interesting way way of hearing you describe it, of, like, you know, that you can have these interactions sort of change people's perspective, even when they're really sort of deeply, you know, that their lives are, are really deeply connected to it. Have you had, um, I know when uh, Dave Sims hosted a panel with, uh, with Dee and... JP and, uh, and a couple other guys that, so one of the things they talked about was how their interactions with teammates, um, manifested and how, you know, how those, they had teammates coming to them. Um, and obviously, um, I, I, you know, you mentioned Dante Pettis coming and talking to you about some of the things you've been saying, have there been, how have the interactions been for you with, current teammates or former teammates, or or maybe even if there have been players from other teams or other organizations, have you felt like you've been able to sort of have more direct and open conversations about these things with, with folks and and maybe see a few, a little more openness from other players uh, about these issues, especially other white players, potentially who you may be able to reach.
3: Definitely. Um, You know, I I think one of the coolest things that this project that we're going to roll out in the summer uh, is going to be able to do is provide more white athletes with the right uh, resources and curriculum to understand what they're standing and fighting for um, and to when they do use their voice and they do receive backlash because it's going to happen that they they have. Like everything they're saying is as uh, rooted and grounded in education um, behind what they're saying. So, a lot of times, like if I, I mean, I could say probably ninety-nine point nine percent of the time when people will chastise any athlete or um, anybody for their stance on inequalities in this country, um, it's out of emotion. It's not out of uh, education and educationally based resource. So like, I think that's the biggest thing for what I can offer to my white uh, teammates and also uh, opponents is get, we need to get to a point where the white athlete isn't scared to say something because of, okay. But then when I get the backlash, because we know it's coming, well, then, like, what do I say? You know, like, do I get in an Absolutely. argument? And it's like, no, the, the, it's either shut down by what you provide after your initial statement. Uh, if you provide a substance, then it becomes a dialogue where change can actually happen. Or it's shut down there because the other person's coming at it from emotion. And you'll realize that very fast about, okay, well, and like I said, I don't respond anymore, because I can see it's coming <laughs> from emotion, and uh, I think that's, like, one of the coolest things that we're going to be able to do for the white athlete is, is that, but um, you know, I think the biggest thing for the hearing from uh, black and brown athletes is um, they they feel like their, their pain is being heard now, and that they do have allies and we're getting to a point now where people are asking, like, okay, but like how, now how do I, um, how do I get involved? Who do I get involved with? Um, and so I saw that need and that's why we're doing this project this summer. Um, and it'll be able to connect athletes and hopefully those athletes that like have that passion in them where it's like, okay, I want to help how, okay, well, here's how. And here's who you can talk to, you know, hopefully we're gonna have a chat box on our website where you can reach out and immediately speak to uh, our director who is so much more educated than I am. Um, and who is a progressive radical change maker who can give you information immediately. So you can, uh, you know, get into dialogue with your teammates or fans or whoever. Um, Cause I feel like if we just get the white athlete over that hump of like, I know I'm getting backlash. Well, the backlash shouldn't be what's holding you back. Um, And I'm excited about that. That's
0: awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, you should be excited about it. This is something that I think not only is, you know, great and will have a lot of impact, but also something that will get people talking. Because like you said, there's not a lot of athletes willing to speak up about this. And with, you know, your platform and just the Mariners and Major League Baseball, like if you keep, you know, the umbrella – That you have the umbrella that you're under is like has the ability to reach so many people. So I think it's um, it's great that you're doing this, and obviously the lookout landing podcast is a very tiny part of this umbrella, (laughs) but it'll definitely reach the right ears.
2: I think too, like with the WNBA, like there's a certain degree of like that league is radicalized because you have that intersection of women who are uh, minorities in sports or who have been marginalized in. over time and then you have a high percentage of black athletes as well who've been marginalized and so they have really led the way for a lot of what we've seen in athlete activism um I would put baseball on the other side of the spectrum for like how much we're seeing so just stuff like this and creating these conversations within baseball not just about racial equality but about gender equality as well right like We just had a huge story break about the general manager of the New York Mets sending these uh, sexualized text messages and harassing a woman um, and yet ascending to a position of power in the game. So um, I feel like the MLK quote gets abused a lot. MLK quotes get abused a lot, but the idea that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Working for this kind of change is going to create a sea change for all people, non-binary people, transgender people, women, black and brown people. When we can work towards more equality within the sport, it's going to make things better for everyone. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I actually was just about to say, like, I'd say like most of my athletic heroes are in the WNBA right now. So, (laughs) um, you know, like, uh, Natasha Cloud, um, and Maya Moore, obviously. Um, I just, like, cra- I mean, a whole Atlanta dream. Um, it's just, like, I think it's just, they. I feel like they're just so much, they're just, I, God, I can't even, like, put it into words just how powerful uh, their words and uh, their stance and, you know, the what power, they do. And, uh,
2: the power of the collective action of all of them wearing the Vote Warnock tee and now Kelly Loeffler is stepping down, like, Either as yeah. being stepping down or being removed, I'm not sure exactly. How, but I mean that to me, that's just like that's the power of when you have everyone united and
3: absolutely, yeah. I uh, yeah, I, I yeah, and obviously, you know, I have a personal connection to Kelsey Plum, so I kind of see it more up close. Obviously, like the struggles that they go through and what they get compared to what they deserve. Um, so I mean, obviously as voices get elevated more, you know, they get what they deserve because I think they deserve quite a lot. And, uh, you know, it's cool to see, like, guys like Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, willing to pay for those girls who wanted to sit out this year. Um, You know, I think that's really cool. and shows a lot about character, you know, of him, but also that Mm -hmm. league.
2: Uh, the role that people with bigger or more privileged platforms have to, you know, you have to reach a hand down. You have to reach a hand out to help these people who don't have as much privilege or power as you are. Um, that's been something that's been really encouraging to see in the NBA, helping out the WNBA in that way. Um, and within baseball, I really hope that after this year, we start to see more white players speaking out. Because white players are still the majority in Major League mm-hmm. Baseball, speaking out and being active and not just kind of not being racist, because it's not enough to just passively not be racist, you have to be actively anti-racist, so.
3: Yeah, I think, I, I think that kind of scares, like, some white players, of like, oh my gosh, like, I have to do work for this, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like like, and that's uh the thing i banged my head against the wall you know is stuff like that where you know i'll hear like i mean i'm sure you've heard it too but it's uh people that say i'm like the least racist person ever or i have black friends
2: i don't have a racist bone in my body like
3: yeah but like if that was i don't care
1: if you're black brown blue (laughs)
3: purple that's the big one exactly and and then you know i those same people will hit me with stuff like, "Oh yeah, Candace Owens is the smartest person I've ever heard in my life," and it's like, <laughs> okay, so you're, you're picking, you're picking the one African American person that one aligns with the way you believe, which is fine, but who also stands to oppress her whole community, who lets down her African American community every single day. So like, that's the one who you want to align with. So like, you see why. I question if you have raised this bone in your body or not. And then they're like, Oh, it's not like that. And it's like, no, it is like, it's that serious. Like you don't understand. It's that serious. Um, and like you show your, I think that's like the biggest thing for me. It's like you show your character about who you align with. That could be politician. That could be teammate. That could be, you know, front office management, whoever, like you are the character of who you align with and that's why i'm you know so skeptical that's why i'm not going to say his name but you know we did an ambassador program last year with four Mom, and some stuff happened and you know i saw who he was aligning himself with in tumultuous times um i knew where i stood and i made a decision that we were going to go in different directions because you know, I thought the character of of said person was in question to me, but so I moved on, and uh, it, it's that serious to me.
1: That's great. Thank you for uh, for sharing all that with us. We can end with some baseball talk if you want to relax <laughs> for, sure. for a little yeah, bit. <laughs> yeah, you know.
2: lighten the load. We do, yeah, I mean... Me, you
3: got me sweating over here. <laughs>
2: <on>. <laughs> no, we, like, seriously, we appreciate so much that you're out there doing the heavy lifting and being kind of this model because it's not just you, it's the guys who are coming up after you, both white and black athletes who are coming up after you who are um, saying, oh... Okay, I can I can use my voice like that. Like yep. um so I think that you might not see it right now, but it is going to have a ripple effect and especially the longer you remain with the organization, the more yeah. you do this kind of outreach, that's going to have an impact on this because as you kind of age into being one of those clubhouse leaders and you know, we have a huge leadership vacuum now with D Gordon gone. Um, And there's still that core of African-American players at the center of the team, but it's a, it's a fight and it's something that has to happen every day. And, you know, we, we appreciate you showing up for that fight.
3: Absolutely. It's the least I could do, honestly. And the
1: last thing I'll say is, like, it's very easy to tell when people are genuine about this. Like, this all feels very natural for you. You're not just talking out the side of your neck or, like, repeating talking points that you've heard. So right. it's very clear. And I'm sure our listeners will hear that as well. Like, it comes across that you're you're in it. And you use a term you keep coming back to. Like, you, you seem to get it, which is refreshing. But yeah. we can talk about your profession now and the thing <laughs> that uh, brought you onto the show. Um, we here at the Lookout Landing podcast love an MLB debut story. Uh, earlier this year, we talked to Ryan Roland Smith and Bucky Jacobson about theirs. Uh, Roland Smith had to face, he's playing for the Mariners, obviously. He comes in to a game at Safeco Field, and the first batter he has to face is Ken Griffey playing for the Reds, which is hilarious and terrifying. He struck him out to his credit. Uh, Bucky Jacobson talked about eating the grass at Safeco Field because he wanted to take some of the game with him. Yeah. Um, but you, Brayden, you got to have one of the more unique debut stories ever, given that you made your MLB debut in Japan during the series that most fans will remember as the Ichiro farewell. And if I'm not mistaken, you are the one who replaced Ichiro, right?
3: Yeah, uh, I'll never forget. I think the boos are still ringing through my ears right now. <laughs> <laughs> Like it, we like literally, they they teed me up to get booed four straight days in a row. Like we played the Tokyo Giants for for two games, and I got booed both of those by an all Japanese uh, standing room only crowd. And then the, the the two games against actually no one game against Oakland, I didn't play. And then when I actually made my debut, I got booed. They let me run all the way to right, then they shifted me to center, so I got booed by two sections of the stadium.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say that's brutal. So they let you have like two dress rehearsal go out and replace them I um, didn't because we couldn't watch the the. This Giants is abuse. Like, that this is, is abusive. That serious.
3: serious. It was. Yeah. The uh, but like going back, you know, the whole like, like this kind of like goes along like the four mom thing. How I was saying, like I felt like there was like a sequel of sequence of events that happened that were just like unbelievable to me to like get us where we're at so like this was like the same you know i like come to spring training and obviously like every spring training i feel like i'm ready and in a in good shape and but i'm getting there and hearing like oh malik's elbow is hurt and then i went and saw you know skip and he was like hey like malik's is hurt like you just got added to the 40 man like i'm not telling you you're going to japan but like you're gonna play a lot during spring training (laughs) You know, so I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, great opportunity. I'm just going to enjoy it. You know, obviously, like, I have a a deep faith. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to trust in everything going on. Um, You know, trust God has a plan, and it's bigger than me, whatever. So uh, I played, like, out of my mind uh, during that spring training. (laughs) And – like, I remember that. Yeah, oh. right. it was like, I was getting like two, three hits a game. And like, you were I was,
4: you're
2: going crazy.
3: It was, yeah, it was wild. Like, you know, usually, you know, like I I had hit in the minor leagues and like in the spring training before I'd hit well, but.
2: Not you like could, I was you like could smell that plane ticket. Yeah, right, right. Like, That's how you were playing. I knew, yeah,
3: maybe it's because I knew I had something to play for, but, uh, you know, it's getting closer to that date and I was hearing rumblings, like obviously the team reaches up to your agent and kind of like gives them like, Hey, at this moment, you know, we're not telling you he's going, but like at this moment he's on the team, whatever. So kind of had an idea, but like, I didn't obviously want to like count on that. And, uh, you know, Fraley was playing really well at the same time. And, uh, you know, Malik's is a left-handed bat. Fraley's the left-handed bat. So, you know, obviously I didn't know like what, what was going to happen. Um, and then, you know i think actually kate i think you saw uh, when uh service pulled me aside during batting practice
2: i did and, i did yeah, and, i and also had like, your dad blowing up my phone at yeah, that point right. because but he yeah, was keeping me <laughs> he was giving me like day-to-day blow-by-blow accounts because he was he started that not thinking they were gonna protect you from the rule five
3: yeah because yeah, i just got hurt uh, that, yeah that i got yeah broke my forearm and uh
2: I was like, "This is ridiculous," and this was before like the crazy infusion of the, you know, all the DSL guys were way, way off. Like, yeah, they right. didn't have the farm system. I was like, "He's their best prospect." Yeah, like, right. They're <laughs> they're not going to not protect him, Randy. And he, yeah, right. like, yeah,
3: just, no, for sure. And uh, yeah, so you scared him. and then <laughs> yeah, you took that picture of us talking at batting practice, and. He, uh yeah, he said to me, like, hey, do you want to go to Japan? And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, yeah. And he he was like, yeah, okay. Like, I just want to tell you now so you can tell your dad because I'm assuming he'll want to go out there. And uh, so that, and it was, like, fast. I mean, he saw it. It was really quick. And I was like, holy shit, like, did I just, like, did I just, like, get called up to the big leagues? Like, who was that? <laughs> like, I didn't know because he didn't, like, straight up say, like, hey, you're going – you're on the team like it was quick like no you didn't
2: have like the experience a lot of guys have when they're in the minors and they get the call up and everyone's clapping and no
3: yeah and i was like oh man he's like don't tell anybody because like we don't want to get out like just yet or whatever so i like ran in and called my dad so he knew and could buy a flight like called uh called brie and told her and then obviously just like the whole experience of like going to japan was wild um and like uh I think like one of the craziest, I've never told this story, but we get to the the Peoria complex, like the morning of us leaving and there were, I think it was like six buses. So it was like pitchers, position players, ownership, uh, staff, whatever. So I get on position player bus and you know, I'm, I, I like, obviously I'm fresh. So, I keep my mouth shut and it's me and Bree, And then obviously like Edwin Carnacion, Jay Bruce, uh, <laughs> D Gordon, Tim Beckham, you know, Hanny, uh, bogey, you know, like all these, like it, it, the team looks different than it does now. And, uh, I remember they called all the rookies up. So it was like, Brandon, Brennan, uh, Dylan, me. Uh, I think that might've been, might've been, it was only me and Dylan on that bus. I'm pretty sure. And, so Dylan gets up, they ask him a couple questions, and Ken Griffey Jr. was sitting right at the front, so he's like kind of like MCing this thing. And I had, I think I had just gotten drafted. Griffey had got just got into the Hall of Fame, and the the uh, I want to hear he had come to Seattle, and he was in Seattle to like do his ceremony, and his daughter. Karen, I believe, was playing at University of Washington. She was on University of Arizona basketball. So she was playing my wife. And uh, I was like, I- I've never met him, but I played for the Maris. I'm introducing myself after the game. And uh, then Brie tore ACL during that game. So I never actually oh, no. got to like, but it was like bad. Like you know, if you go to Seattle Times, like Seattle Times posted like a gruesome picture of her. Uh, like, coming down her knee, and it's, like, I mean, you can picture what a torn ACL picture looks like, Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, and I was, like, sitting right behind him, like, I I think I, like, said a swear word, because, and made, like, a huge scene, because it was, like, (laughs) scary, and I was pissed, and so, anyway, I didn't get to meet him, so we were on this bus, and he calls me up, and I was, like, he was, like, you got any, like, interesting stories, and I, like, told him the story, and he's, like, oh, my God, that was you, like, this is wild, like, what a small world, and, and then after that, he, like, didn't leave Brie alone. And it was just, like, talking basketball. And I was like, this is not the way I pictured it going. I thought like he was, like, talking to me. But instead, he's talking about, like, U of A basketball and, like, you know, step-back jumpers. And, like, I'm just like, this is not how I pictured it going. Um, but, yes, yeah, so, anyway, that was our, our bus story. And then uh, we fly there. And... Uh you know, another story about Each, uh everybody said he was like a ghost and I had never like seen it really. But like this guy I'm sorry, you call a...
2: him Each?
3: Each Each you know. <laughs> but uh so anyway, he uh we're on a plane and we're all wearing like black sweatsuits and then like the plane lands and he's like in a suit and I'm like, What the like how did he get in a suit? <laughs> like this is wild. Um and so anyway, we go. We had a couple of days, I think. Then we started playing in those exhibitions and and then the the Oakland game came. Uh, you know, they tell me in like the fifth, like, hey, each is gonna come out, um, and then you're gonna go in and like Blake Trinan was pitching and I was like, This is not the guy I wanna make my debut <laughs> off like ninety yeah. eight mile an hour sinkers, like not righty and I, and then I think each struck out, so they were like, "Hey, he's gonna like hit again. He wants to hit again." I'm like, "Yes, please! Like, you, yeah, take them all." And uh, so he hits again. Uh, I think we like came to the eighth. That's when that whole ceremony, of, like him running out, what you see on the video, right? And then um, I go in. I get booed, obviously. I move to center, um, and then you I get learned, booed I'm, again. Yeah, I get booed again. And then I'll never forget, like. It kind of like all came to, and I was like, oh my god, like I haven't even played catch, like, like they didn't throw me a <laughs> ball or anything, because like he went out and oh like god. played catch, and then everybody came off. So when I went out, the inning was starting, and I was like, oh, my god, I haven't played catch. Uh, so like I yelled at D, and he like gets a ball, and we're like playing catch in front of like, fifty thousand people, like just him and I, and I was like, this is awful. Like <laughs> I was just on an <laughs> island playing catch, and I haven't played <laughs> catch since three hours ago and uh so anyway uh the inning starts i think i caught the last out of that inning and uh i was running in and i go to throw it in the stands and like i just see i guess they call him the flash for a reason but i just see d come out of nowhere and he like full extension catches this ball that's going into the stands and he's like are you, are you an idiot and i was like what and he's like don't throw away you just that's your first put out like say that
4: Um, like Like,
3: thank you so much like i was rattled obviously Um, so yeah d saved my first put out ball and then uh i go to hit and uh i think i was hitting third that next inning and liam hendricks was in the game and they're like oh like our scouting report was like oh he was hurt last year like he throws like 91 so i get in there (laughs) like first pitch slider like hammer strike one i'm like what? Like, they did not look like what they just said. And I was like, so I stepped out, and I was like, all right, well, maybe, like, I'm nervous. Like, I just, like, take a deep breath, obviously. Step back in, next pitch, fastball and, like, I didn't even see it. And I looked up his stadium gun, and, like, the – the it was obviously, like, in the – Kilometers uh, per Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, like, I don't know, like, 158. Was, like, Holy, like, one – I think – 150 was like 95 and I was like oh my god like that was on 91 so like strike two and then he threw like this like I'd never seen it before but like he threw like this front hip slider and it like look, that was gonna hit me and then it caught like the inside corner and I think that obviously the umpire gave him a little bit um, so it was like, three bitches, see you later, strike out, and I was like, holy, like, I'm never, oh, like, I, my I don't hat, that's brutal. Like I, I was like, I've hit a lot in my life, and like, that was terrible. So, <laughs> uh, I know what yeah, I'm doing, but, this is not, yeah, <laughs> this is, <laughs> yeah, literally, I was like, I could have gone up left-handed and done that, so. <laughs> but yeah, the game ended, and then that whole ceremony after the game was wild, and, and, uh, and then we flew back, and, And I just like thinking back, I'm just like, I mean, what a like a week, you know, obviously it wasn't just like one day, but just to get that whole experience was unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, I think I probably got one of the the cooler debut stories and, uh, you know, I get to say I got booed four times for each hero. So that was cool, you know, by his own, his home home country.
2: Absolutely unique. I I have to say, my stomach hurts. I have laughed so. Yeah. I had to mute myself a few times just so yeah. I could just laugh.
3: You're right. Yeah. It was good. So- it was a good time.
1: So then, do you kind of feel like you had to do that all over again once you left Japan and like come back to America? Like you once you play your first games in the states in, like you know quote unquote regular MLB fashion, does that feel like debuting a second time? Like did you have a yeah. welcome to the MLB moment all over again?
3: For sure, I think honestly it was it was so different because like I, I like I think in the back of my mind I knew like okay in Japan like the roster is extended to twenty six and I'm bad guy. like, I knew when we got back, like, I probably was going down. Like, I think that's one thing I've learned is how to, like, be realistic, you know, Um, and not play GM, but just, like, understand, like, kind of where you stand. And uh, so then when I got back, I went down. Managing your expectations. Right. And I wanted to, like, I wanted to play, obviously. So I knew that, you know, we had Jay, we had Hanny was healthy, Malik. Um and Domingo at the time. So I knew, like, we had guys I wanted to play. So anyway, then I remember getting called up, um, and we were facing the Cubs, and they had, like, I think it was, like, Lester Hamels, and then we were going to New York, and they – or no, we were going – yeah, New York, and they had, like, CC Um, So I knew, like, they had a lot of lefties in a row. And, yeah, I remember getting called up. It was in Seattle against Chicago. But it was, yeah, it was pretty similar feeling, but, like, to know that, like, okay, I'm not, like, coming off the bench. I'm starting, and I'm going to get three at-bats. I don't have a hit yet. Uh, You know, my dad, my wife, my college teammates, my college coaches, like, they're all going to be there. So that was definitely, like, a a different feel. Um, And then, like, it was funny because the first inning – the first hitter for the Cubs was Daniel Descalso. And he went to my high school and was like my mentor, like through high school, college, minor leagues, like still to this day. And he hits a ball off Felix um, into right center. And it cleared the wall by maybe like three feet. And I almost robbed it. Like I was like half a foot away. And I just thought it would have been so funny if like my first, like inning in the big leagues in America, I robbed my mentor of a homer. <laughs> but I, I blew it, obviously.
1: it is funny. I looked it up while you were talking. It was Cole Hamels and John Lester. It's like, hey, yeah. get out there, kid. Like, you got it, <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, it was definitely... I think I had, like, Hamels, Lester... Or, Hamels, Lester, CeCe's about the uh, J-Hap, and then, like, Eduardo Rodriguez from the Red Sox. I think it was, like, my first... Four yeah. or five yeah, that's, stars. That's, yeah. that's
2: nothing. Like hanging
3: with them, and the thing <laughs> is, is, like, they aren't obviously like who they were but, like you know, seven or eight, nine years ago. Obviously, they're still very good, but like, they've earned the umpires' respect, and I right. have not. And like that plays a huge, huge role because like they're getting the they're getting the calls, not me. Like never. So like it makes hitting more of a chess match than it already is
1: yeah and i mean while we're on the subject i did find some other i mean you had to face garrett cole as a rookie you have a yeah yeah. oh for three with three strikeouts against kershaw (laughs) like there's no shame in that obviously but like that's got to be like a you know kind of like a holy shit moment when you realize like okay these are the guys i grew up watching and now i gotta figure out how to hit this curveball
3: no serious and like it's like the worst too because it's like i didn't catch them on like days like, go look at, like, their numbers against our whole team that day. It's like, I didn't catch them on, like, off days. I caught them on days <laughs> where, they're, like, Cole well, strikes out, like, 19 and Kershaw, you know, punches, like, 14. Like, it's just...
2: Brutal. Yeah, I definitely
3: brutal. didn't catch them on good days.
2: Has that... Was that... Because this is just rough. Like, I believe this is a very... No rookie has it easy, but this is a super rough Roto that you've detailed for us. Have you been able to take that experience and help like somebody who's come up, like say Evan White, who obviously had some great moments this year and also just had some really tough ones. Like, have you been able to kind of pass that on? Like, it's not always going to be like this or just hang in there. Any kind of advice?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I'll tell you, like one of the biggest things for me is I used to, I used to pray for my own career. Um, and like, the success of like my own career but i felt like i needed to spend more time trying to like pray how i can affect and elevate others careers and uh you know i I see it more now like obviously I, i obviously have to succeed to continue to play in the big leagues and stuff but um you know like guys like evan like the He has so much talent, and obviously he doesn't realize it. But the fact that, um, you know, he did struggle, I think he's going to look back and realize it's, like, the best thing that ever happened to him. Um, You know, like, being young, coming from double A to the big leagues, like, I remember having conversations because, like, when I first got brought up in August, our uh, lockers were right next to each other. And I remember talking to him, like, hey, how how are you feeling? Like, really, like, not like baseball. Like, I don't even want to talk hitting. Like, I've been there. I don't want to talk hitting. Um, but, like, well, how are you feeling? He's like, God, I feel like I'm, like, working hard, doing the right things, but it's just, like, not clicking. And, uh, and you know, I was just like, you know, I think the beauty of it is you get to step in today, and, like, it's a fresh late, and if you happen to go over four with four strikeouts, like, you're going to step in tomorrow, and it's going to be a fresh late, too. And, you know, you're obviously going to hear it. Like, that's just the way it goes. But with the the praise of doing well, you're obviously going gonna to get criticism for not. And I was like, trust me, I've gotten plenty of it. Um, but, like, <laughs> just, like, just, like, embrace, like, every minute. And, like, dude, you're so lucky that you're in the Bay Leagues. And, like, look at the, you know, stadiums we get to play in and the hotels you get to stay in. And, you know, you're healthy um, and, you know you're you're blessed enough to get a contract and you deserve every penny and so like just like making them like see the perspective of like it's not like yeah you know people who are outside are gonna you know obviously live and die on your numbers and Mm. you know whether you're getting a hit with the guy on second or not but I think the biggest thing we have to realize is like if we do that then we're not going to be playing for very long and uh you know, I think he started to like realize that towards the end, and he started playing way, way better. And you know, I I, I was I think I was telling people like a year ago because obviously when you sign a contract out of Double A, people are gonna be like, what the heck, like. And I was like, no, like trust me, this dude's <laughs> defense is unbelievable. Like you, you probably won't see another defender like that at first. Um, like talk about somebody who like elevates people's games, like the other infielders. So. And then, obviously, you saw that he won a gold glove. Um, so, like, yeah, with Evan, that was obviously, uh, you know, seeing guys like – see, the thing uh, the other night on the Mariners' caravan, I said, like, I don't think – like, obviously, you know, it sucks not making playoffs for, for so long. Right. And, like, it's so easy when people tell you, like, fans, just be patient. Like, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we've been patient. Like, <laughs> no, like, trust me, I get it. Like, it's it's been a long time. Uh, and everybody wants it like nobody more than the players but like i don't think people realize like the talent that that we have right now and uh you know i said like obviously if i'm a part of it or not like that's totally out of my control but uh to like be with some of these guys um you know playing with them in the past or just watching them or because obviously some are younger than me uh you know from like kyle lewis and win rookie of the year i mean you saw it like people saw that but like to see like the work et- work ethic of like Jared Kilmick, um you know like yeah, he totally has a fan in me forever and you wow. know he just puts his head down he works um he he's like he tar- like he has every tool and every reason to like show up last and do the bare minimum but he's the first one there he works his freaking tail off um, I think you see it like he's jacked, and and then obviously his skills are, you know, ninety nine percent. You know he's one of the best, and I think he's gonna be one of the best. Uh, and then you have guys like Julio. And yeah, I was Mark, thinking Mark, of Marque. that
2: picture that Julio took of the two of you when you were down in Modesto, I think, on like a an injury recovery or something, maybe playing some rehab games. Yeah,
3: after my spleen got blown up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You want to say more about that?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, we, we that was, uh, the talk about, I definitely have a greater appreciation for the ICU nurses at uh, the Seattle hospitals after what I went through. Um, oh, my gosh. I mean, just, I mean, because I couldn't stand for 48 hours straight. I had to lay on my back um, and just, like, coming in, like, Changing like the bedpan and like, I mean, some nasty stuff, but like <laughs> it was, and then yeah, but it was, like, just I mean, it was
2: people. legit, it was legit scary. I, I think I tweeted out the picture that Brie posted of you and yeah. that. Ho- I mean, it looked like they thought you were gonna die, possibly, like oh, yeah. you were close no, to that, sure. right?
3: Well, I don't, the thing that's scariest is like, I don't even know, like, I was because I had gone to sleep that the night before. Well, I like came out of the game versus the uh, versus the Astros and that night. They sent me, they sent me home, and I didn't. I went to sleep, and like I, like I just think all the time, like, what if something happened, you know? Like, what if my yeah, because you're stomach... lying
2: there with a a lacerated spleen. Yeah, lacerated? In my,
3: yeah. So the yeah. reason why it got it. So there was a couple of things. It wasn't like completely lacerated. It was a pseudo aneurysm. So basically it means ball hit my ribs.
2: No, that's yeah. that sounds much better. Pseudo aneurysm yeah, right. sounds <laughs> yeah. much better than.
3: Yeah, so it like rattled my rib cage, which then popped this little hole on the vessel <laughs> on the top of my spleen and it would like bleed and then it would like clot and it would bleed when I would do more activities and clot. So that's what I didn't know immediately. Um, But the reason why I knew is because the blood filled up my whole abdominal cavity. So I literally couldn't take a deep breath. And and so that's how I knew. And like the doctor, after we did the procedure, was like, honestly, like you're so lucky because like if that ball would have hit your ribs and like popped that vessel completely, like you would have been done immediately. (sighs) And I was like, holy shit, like this is I mean, it was already scary, and then he told me that, and I was like, "Yeah, I wanted to wear like a full body cap
4: for like six months." I
0: was gonna say, "Are we gonna get you? Can we get you like one of those like quarterback flak jackets?" At least, I wear or one something? now. Yeah, good. Yeah, I, I wear I
3: wear the NBA uh, the NBA like rib guards, so it's oh, not yeah. like hard, but it's good. I have some padding, but yeah, so. You know, like I said, like, I'm definitely going to get criticism for not playing well. You know, I think anybody will. And I've definitely received my fair share. But, like, I knew I was also, like, fighting this, like, mental battle of, like, being comfortable playing again after going through that. It's rough. Um, You
2: know, in Seattle, we saw a top prospect, uh, DJ Peterson, get his jaw blown up. So, and it was really difficult for him at the plate after that. And he scraped and he couldn't. Couldn't quite ever get there, so, Absolutely. you know. Yeah, and
3: I, I don't I don't ever want it to be, like, I never used it where it's like, oh, yeah, a I'm not crutch. playing well because my, you know, my spleen. And you know, obviously in my mind I knew that was a reason, but it's like, at the end of the day, like, if, if people can't feel it or see it, like, they're probably not going to care, like, that's just the reality. Unless it's you guys, like, you guys will care and hear me out, but, <laughs> you know. That's what we're day. here for. <laughs> everyday everyday fan just wants to see wins, which right. is obviously that's sure. a business, so I get but it.
2: Even while you're struggling with all that and you're down in and you've had some injuries in your career too, often derailing you at the most kind of the worst possible times. Mm-hmm. Uh, God God loves to test Braden Bishop. <laughs> yeah,
4: that's <laughs> for sure. Yeah.
2: And even at that, like, you're sitting in the locker room giving your time to a prospect who has attracted a ton more attention in his short baseball career in Julio than you ever have, but, you know, just having that generosity of spirit, and that really meant a lot to him. Like, I talked to Julio a little about it, and he's like, oh, he's so nice, and he knows so much about hitting, I just wanted to talk to him forever, like...
3: Yeah, yeah, well, that's kind of, you know, like I said, you know, you got so many guys who have so much to offer and so much to give and you know even you know even if i played another five years like they're gonna be around another 10 12 after <laughs> that so um yeah i think obviously i think jerry and crew have done a really good job of bringing these guys in and um i mean i don't know if you guys have ever heard the chinese proverb of a bamboo forest but um i won't say the whole thing but basically it's like you plant um you know there was two farmers one planted bamboo uh that was already half grown and then the other planted just the seed and so like obviously people would walk by and say like, oh my god that guy's garden so much more beautiful than that guy's um and then like five years later they came back and the other guy's garden was like twice the size twice as beautiful um but for five years that guy just wore it and heard like you know that guy's <laughs> garden's not good enough it's ugly this guy's better. And so I think, like, as an organization, like, these players, like, obviously Julio's more, like, uh, you know, on the, the front page. But uh, you have, like, so many, like, Austin Shenton and the guys that just drafted and some other, you know, talented guys that, that you guys know. But, you know, the average fan, like, they're going to see these guys in, like, three years. And it's going to be like, oh, my God, where are these guys come from? And it's like, <laughs> no, they're, like, growing. And mm. evolving right now. Uh, it's going to pay off uh, for sure. I have no doubt about that.
4: Are you
2: on the P- Mariners PR payroll? Because I feel like you really should be after that. <laughs> I, like...
3: Honestly, like I look at it, it's like I don't even know if I'm saying this for the team. Uh, I think it's more <laughs> like I'm like advocating for the player because I'm like I interact with them. and I see like how they work and I've seen them struggle and I've seen them succeed and I've seen how they get through. The middle, uh, and it's, I mean, it's impressive. It's honestly like it's really impressive. And I've never been with another org, but to like see these guys, um, it's just impressive. Like, like, I see like Marte do some stuff, and I'm like, dude, that was unreal. And they're like, yeah, he's 19. I'm like, I'm like 10 (laughs) years older than this guy. (laughs) It's unbelievable. I'm like eight and a half years older than him. And it's like, did you
2: know he's (laughs) also a landlord? (laughs) He has well, like good. A... He,
3: sh- he should. Be. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's what he used his bonus you... money for. Yeah, he bought like a. M- he bought like a grocery store in the Dominican yeah, good. Republic. Good. Bought like so a that's... plaza.
3: Yeah, that's good. Get that real estate. Absolutely. <laughs> I know. Fair. Smart there...
2: man. Uh, I think that that's a testament to you personally being able to have that generosity of spirit, and also a testament to the culture of the organization that. You know, it's not like a me first kind of thing, but everybody working together to lift each other up.
3: Oh, for sure. I yeah, I think like my message is I actually I said it twice the other day, um, like to younger players is like like spend time, like enjoying the guys around you and like helping to elevate their play and like their life because at the end of the day baseball's gonna end for all of us, but like I don't want to be the guy that like people looked at and was like, nah, he was selfish. Like he didn't make any impression on me. Um, and like, I don't want to be that guy. So that's why my prayer changed from, you know, I pray for the success of my career to now. I pray that I elevate others' careers to be better and prosperous because then I can look back and be like, no, I, I hyped that dude up. Like I bet on that guy. And, uh, you know, now he's won Rookie of the Year, he's won a World Series, or whatever, um, and then hopefully they remember me that way
2: too.
1: Well, and another way you're helping your teammates out is uh, in the barber chair. You uh, you're pretty nice with the Clippers, yes, Braden. We've so seen you give gifts. some haircuts. So many yes,
2: gifts sir. you give. <laughs>
4: yeah,
3: yeah, That was uh, that was the way I made all my money in the minor leagues.
4: Oh, really? I was going to ask <laughs> how you, I was going to ask how
3: you
1: picked up the skill. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I, uh, in college, I actually, well, I got, I got hurt in college my freshman year and, uh, learned from a barber locally in the Bay Area. He was actually, if you guys watch, uh, Last Chance U, uh, he's the barber in the, the most recent episode. Uh, the, uh, the two guys who are like the stars of the last season, um, they're his, Grandsons, so they're in his shop or whatever, so it's cool. Like, that was the chair I learned how to cut in, and then uh, I went back to school, uh, basically cut everybody on the team, then it started spreading. So, I started cutting like football players, and that's where I like really learned because like those guys like take their hair like serious. And uh, <laughs> and then I, you know, I, obviously like with anything, it's an investment, so you like buy good clippers and uh, all the right stuff, straight razor, and then um. I went uh obviously got drafted and then I probably made honestly like three times the amount cutting hair than I did salary through the minor leagues. But uh <laughs> oh. it's yeah, it was really crazy. I definitely suggest any uh prospective baseball <laughs> players learn how to cut hair. Learn how to do it. <laughs> yep. And then I got to the big leagues and I was like, I'm gonna keep it quiet, like I don't wanna be that guy and uh, you know couple having a young team a couple guys like dude can you cut my hair please so I cut and then I I only charge like I was like hey I don't charge like just tip me whatever you want um and the guy who would come in to cut our hair in Seattle I think since we were such a young team uh, a lot of guys were like eh, I'd rather just like tip you like 15 bucks and uh I was like yeah cool <laughs> and then you know I started cutting guys like the clubbies I cut the clubbies and then uh since Seeger doesn't have hair he hates that i cut hair in the clubhouse <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, had to, like, I had to like stop because he like he was like getting on me um, so now, <laughs> now i do it at the hotel oh my God. <laughs>
2: uh who's you- better you or devin sweet have you ever oh, seen devin sweet's, sweet's cuts? good
3: yeah sweet's good um I don't know. Like he's got a good I mean, there's kid. enough
2: of a gap between the two of you that I don't that, think right. he's a threat to your industry necessarily. <laughs> right?
3: But. Yeah. No, I feel like the one cool thing about barbers in general is, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys don't like follow barber pages on Instagram like I do, but like <laughs> I feel like the cool part about barbers in general is, I feel like it's like one profession where like nobody really gets jealous. Everybody just kind of like hyping each other up because like you know everybody needs a haircut. Uh, so I think there's plenty of business to go around for everybody. Um, but yeah, I've seen sweets work and like he cuts his own hair. So it definitely, like he definitely knows how to cut. Um, and he, he's way better at designs than I am, which, uh, I've always wanted to do. So I'm going to have to talk to him at some point.
1: Do you cut your own hair? Have you been doing that during quarantine?
3: I only cut the sides, um, because I, I'm too scared to like use the mirror to cut the back. Uh, yeah, I have right. to say
2: via Instagram, I've seen you're kind of rocking like some curls right yeah,
3: now. Yeah, no, yeah, the wife kind of likes the whole perm <laughs> thing for me. So yeah, it's, it's it's good. I mean, I like whatever. I I used to used to get the buzz cut, and then I went with like the slick back, and then now I'm I guess I'm rocking the the perm like it's 1980 or something. <laughs>
2: It's you and Justice, I think, could yeah, both exactly. together yep. have that That's what I'm trying to get. that I'm sweet to get, like, Prince justice. hair. Yep, yeah. <laughs> um, do you cut your brother's hair and have you made like inroads into the Giants organization?
3: Uh let's see. With that? I don't I do cut What is couple. Hunter
2: up to these days?
3: Uh he's he he bought a house in Arizona right by the Giants complex. Uh, he he's really, really good at golf. Um like really good and he he's played in a couple of tournaments this this off season, uh, and he's won a couple of them. So <laughs> uh, he plays golf and then he works out. And who do you stuff. think can hit a ball further, uh,
2: Hunter or Mike Trout?
3: Oh gosh, uh, I'm gonna probably go with Trout just because Hunter just because you should always go with Hunter's Trout has been and Trout. <laughs> <do laughs> <he does. laughs> Until Hunter makes the big leagues, he's a husband. I
2: don't even care. <laughs> That's some big brother shit. <laughs>
3: <laughs> He'll be just fine.
1: Well, Braden, I think we've exhausted all of our questions that we were going to ask you. You uh, delivered everything we wanted and, and more. And so but, much uh, more. <laughs> some I great stories. It. We love the exclusivity. Uh, as soon as I heard, I've never told this story. Oh, before. I, I, know, I, I know, I know. My pumped. little
2: podcasting yeah. heart leaped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, but before we let you go, we need to let you um, draw attention to anything you want. Plug whatever. Plug your social, yeah, plug, plug your pl- foundation, plug the, whatever plug the it
2: coffee is. company. Uh,
3: yeah. Uh, hit us with uh, all of
1: your shameless okay, plugs.
3: Okay, cool. Um, so we, uh, we are currently, well, I'd say first, if you like coffee, go check out our coffee company. Uh, it's www.cognitioncoffeecompany.com. And it's just a good way to, if you do like coffee, to also support the Four Mom charity. Um, a percentage of each purchase goes back to the charity. Um, you know, we found that a lot of people wanted to get involved, but during the pandemic, obviously you can't have events and like people can only donate money so much and buy so many shirts. So, uh, it's a good way to also service yourself and you're craving for coffee, but then also, uh, help the charity out. And then, you know, I would say, uh, definitely keep an eye out for, uh, our events upcoming for, for mom. We have a golf tournament this fall that we're going to put on when hopefully you know the pandemic eases up a little bit, and then also um, we are working on a documentary that's going to come out this summer. Um, that will be a kind of inside look on for mom and what I was explaining of just the timeline and how we have been up and down and my mom's story. So that'll be really really cool. And then uh, I do have a cool surprise coming for spring training and then also the season. Uh, I'm not going to tell too much. Uh, but it takes place between my car and entering the stadium and then the stadium and going back to my car. So pre and post, Uh, but just keep an eye out. Uh, It's going to be a good way to honor uh, athletes who have stepped up and used their voice for communities of color and women's rights and uh, gender and neutral, uh, gender and human rights. So just keep an eye out for that. We'll see maybe you get if you guys get it, maybe I'll send you guys like a four mom shirt or
0: something. Ooh. That is a tease. That, that is a, is a, very a That is a man with a practice tease and I love it.
2: <laughs> are you sure you didn't major in marketing? You know, I
3: I didn't. I didn't, but I guess I learned that with the charity stuff
4: too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Again, when your playing dates are over, I feel like the Mariners would be idiots not to hire you to <laughs> promote the brand because you've done a great job of it tonight
3: yeah thank you i try
2: uh you know it helps when you're just a genuinely wonderful decent human being which you are brayden and we're so happy to call you a seattle mariner thank you thank
4: you yes
1: indeed yeah Thank you so much, Braden. Thank you so much to everyone who listened. Uh, follow Lookout Landing on Twitter. You can also follow Braden on Twitter. I don't think you said your social handles, Braden. Do you want to get those in real quick?
3: Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, on Instagram is Braden Bishop One, and then on Twitter it's Braden Bishop Seven. Uh, but Twitter is it might be a little boring now because I don't get into it with people as much <laughs> as I used to. So I can't promise the fireworks
1: that's probably for the best but we do miss that that golden era over the summer where you were just letting it fire (laughs) (laughs) all right y'all thank you for listening uh you can follow me on twitter at m 22 kate is at kate pruser john is at john trupin and until next time goodbye
2: bye